Our scripture reading this morning is from Isaiah 42 and 53, and then a portion of Matthew 11. And we'll be talking about the words of some of the words of Matthew 11, verse 29. First of all, then uh, we have the uh, suffering servant songs of Isaiah, Isaiah 42, verses 1 to 3. Hear the word of God. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights. I put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. He will not cry out nor raise his voice, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. A smolding flax he will not quench. He will not bring forth justice for truth. He will bring forth justice for truth. And then we turn to Isaiah 53, verse 1, who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground, He has no form or comeliness, and when we see Him, there is no beauty that we should desire Him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As we, and we hid, as it were, our faces from Him. He was despised, and we did not esteem Him. Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And then thirdly, the context for our text, we read from Matthew 11, verse 20, and we'll read to chapter 12, verse 21. Matthew 11, verse 20, hear the word of God. Then he, our Lord Jesus, began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, it will be no more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, <coughs> who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say to you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. 
All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. Come to me, all who who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain and eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. But he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread which was not lawful for him to eat, nor only for, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Yet I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now when he had departed from there, he went into their synagogue, and behold, there was a man with a withered hand. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath that they might accuse him? Then he said to them, What man is there among you who has one sheep? And if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out? (coughs) Of how much more value than is a man than a sheep. Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and it was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew from there, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. Yet he warned them not to make him known, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will declare justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, smoking flax he will not quench. Till he sends forth justice to victory, and in his name, Gentiles will trust. This is the word of the Lord. This morning we pay attention to these words of our Lord Jesus in verse 29, the eight words, For I am gentle and lowly in heart. After the proclamation of God's word, we'll praise God with the words of hymn 25, stanzas 1, 2, and 3. Beloved brothers and sisters in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, among all the words that our Lord Jesus has passed on to the church, we should have an eye for the special nature, the unique character of these eight words before us this morning. In his recent and popular book, which I have discovered many of our societies are reading and studying, Gentle and Lowly, the book is called, Dane Ortland passes on the comment of Charles Spurgeon. 
Charles Spurgeon already said that in all the 89 chapters of the Gospels, there's only one place where Jesus tells us about His own heart. Of course, there are many places, especially in John's Gospel, where He refers to Himself as I and me. In John's Gospel, He says, I am the light of the world, I am the good shepherd, I am the door, uh, all these things. But in all of those, the impact has more to do with His mission than His person. He tells us more there about why He's come than about who He is. But here, in Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, He's so personal. Today we would say He's so vulnerable. Without any pretense and in a precious moment, He bears His soul, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Says Ortland, in the one place in the Bible where the Son of God pulls back the veil and lets us peer way down into the core of His heart, we are not told that He is austere and demanding in heart. We are not told that He's exalted and dignified in heart. We are not even told that He's joyful and generous in heart. Letting Jesus set the terms, surprising, His surprising claim is that He is gentle and lowly in heart. But what we'd like to see in the time we have this morning is that the significance of these words in this passage, in Matthew's gospel, in the New Testament, but also in your life and my life. It's a wonderful thing to behold the Lord, the the, the person of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but words like these have further impact because again and again we are urged in Scripture to become like Him, to be Christ-like. The adopted sons and daughters of the Father by the Spirit are to resemble the eldest and the best son. And so God's Word comes to you under this theme, as is the head, so is the body. We are to be gentle and lowly in heart in Christ. Brothers and sisters, the first word, gentle, uh, Jesus uses is a word that's used in all kinds of ancient literature, also non-biblical literature, that's used for things, a gentle wind, gentle words. It's used for animals, sometimes it's used for people. In the literature, it's used for a man who is noble, a sage who is meek in the face of insults, a, a judge who is lenient in the judgment he makes, and a king who is kind in his rule. So obviously, to be gentle is, uh, is a good thing. It's a word that presumes that in such a person there is no cruelty, little or no anger. In the Psalms, it's often used to the word is often used to reference the lowly and the humble, those characterized by a fine and gentle spirit. And so when our Lord Jesus uses it, he uses he's speaking both of his character as well as his his actions, I believe. He's the one who speaks the kind and humble words of the Sermon on the Mount. How can he say, Blessed are the meek, if he was not meek himself? You and I and the Pharisees can say something, and there can be so easily those who will accuse us of hypocrisy because we are not always 100% what we claim to be, are we? But would you accuse him of the same? He is the fulfillment of the servant songs of Isaiah, the meek Savior of Isaiah 42 all the way to 53. 
Or think of his wonderful words in John 14, verse 6 to 16. Only a gentle man would, on the night of his very death, speak so extensively and so wonderfully for his disciples in which he just shows how he cares for his disciples and for their future and the future of the church of the people of God. In Jesus, truly, we have a reflection of God Himself who declares Himself to Moses as the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. In the face of the Son, we behold the family resemblance of the Father, and we learn what's expected of us if we would consider ourselves to be members of this family. It's actually very striking that it's Matthew who gives us these words about the character of our Lord Jesus. Because think about it, Matthew, the, the primary theme of, of Matthew's gospel, I believe you have to look at the unique features of each gospel, each of the four gospels, but the primary theme of Matthew's gospel is that Jesus is the King. At the beginning of this gospel, there's a reference to Jesus as the son of David, and the whole focus is on David. The number 14 is the number of David, and, and Joseph is said to be the son of David. Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. And why is it important? Because Joseph, you see, Joseph, if Israel was in control of its own land, then Joseph would be king. It would be King Joseph. And if it's King Joseph then it will be King Jesus, and that's what it's meant to be, King Jesus. Even at the end of the Matthew's gospel, all authority is given to me, says Jesus, in a royal way. But the question comes up, what kind of king will this be? We know of many different kind of kings nowadays, and we know of many cruel kings, despots, tyrants. What kind of king will Jesus be? Well, we're told here because actually... Uh, the, the, Matthew 21 is the triumphal entry of the Lord Jesus Christ into Jerusalem. Here's the king coming into the city of David. And how is he coming? One would expect him to come on a horse because horses were, were what you rode into victory and into battle. And Romans would never be caught on anything except for a horse. But instead, Jesus comes explicitly by his command on what? He comes on a donkey, on a donkey, a humble donkey. Why a donkey? Well, Matthew 21 tells us, Zechariah 9 said, Matthew says, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Zechariah, say to daughters, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And actually, there's another significance to the word gentle. Not only is this disclosing Jesus as a gentle king, a, a, a second theme in Matthew that's very predominant is the theme of, of, of Jesus as the great teacher, Jesus as the great rabbi of his disciples. You have all these speeches in Matthew. You have the, the Sermon on the Mount, the great speech. We have this Matthew 13, this, the parables, and then we have Matthew 18, the ecclesiastical discourse, we call it. All these great speeches because what is Jesus? Who is Jesus? He's the teacher of his disciples. Like a rabbi in a rabbinic school, he sets his students down and he teaches them one lesson after the other. Because that's what the yoke says. Matthew 11 says, 
Take my yoke upon you. What is the yoke? The yoke is the yoke of teaching. Jesus says, take my yoke and learn from me. The and learn from me clarifies what kind of yoke it is. It's a yoke of teaching. It's a yoke of instruction. What kind of a teacher will Jesus be? We have also known of mean and exacting teachers. What kind of teacher will he be? Well, Matthew 12 tells us about that because Matthew 12 juxtaposes Jesus with the Pharisees. It's the Sabbath day in Matthew 12. And Jesus goes out, and his disciples, they pick grain on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees are there uh, to criticize him and criticize his disciples. And then there's a man with a paralyzed hand who suffers from paralysis. And what do they do? They say, you can't heal him on the Sabbath. You can't do this on the Sabbath. But Jesus does it. Why? Because his yoke is easy. His burden is light. His teaching is so very different from the scribes and the Pharisees. The Pharisees, Jesus warned in Matthew 23, they tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on men's shoulders. In fact, I believe this is probably exactly what draws it out of the Lord Jesus. He sees his people oppressed by the leaders of the church, oppressed by the scribes and the Pharisees, and he wants to show them that he is a different kind of person, a different kind of leader, a different kind of teacher, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, in my rule as well as in my teaching. Because notice what comes next in Matthew 12. Isaiah 12, 42 is quoted next. Because in all of this, Jesus is seen as the gentle, suffering servant of Isaiah. A bruised reed he will not break. That is, someone who is weak he will not destroy. He's much too gentle for that. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Someone who is like a dying fire, he will not eliminate. This is not the nature of this person who comes gentle and lowly among them. Does all of this mean that Jesus is some kind of pushover or never becomes angry or never expresses his disapproval? Well, didn't we read also Matthew eleven twenty one, 21, where Jesus pronounces his judgment on Chorazin and his disapproval on Bethsaida and Capernaum, Jewish towns that had witnessed so many of his miracles? Or you can read more of this in, in Matthew 23, where the, the gloves come off and, and the debate between Jesus and the Pharisees, you hypocrites, whitewashed tombs. Jesus can become angry, righteously angry. But there is no anger that goes more noticed than when a person who is usually mild and gentle displays anger. The anger of an enemy is one thing, but the anger of one who loves us bites deep and stops us in our tracks. But our point is, if ever there is a message in the, of grace in the Gospels, here it is. In the face of cruel tyrants and onerous teachers, the Lord Jesus stands out. All the weak and weary and burdened can come to Him, and they will find rest. Rest will be theirs, and we can, not only because His yoke is easy, His understanding of the law, His expectations so much easier, and, and He is so much more generous 
but we can because he is gentle and lowly in heart. As Ortlin puts it, his yoke is kind, his burden is light. That is, his yoke is a non-yoke, his burden is a non-burden. What helium does to a balloon, Jesus' yoke does to his followers. We are buoyed along in life by his endless gentleness and his supremely accessible lowliness. He doesn't simply meet us at our place of need. He lives in our place of need. He never tires of sweeping us into his tender embrace. It is his very heart. And actually, if you want it, you know, we're in this post-Easter season in the church year. If you want other examples of his, of his gentleness, think of Jesus after the resurrection. What, is, what does Jesus do? You've got all these resurrection narratives where Jesus shows himself to different people. What is he doing? He's showing himself to be the kind and gentle pastor who brings about healing and direction for his people. They're confused by the cross, and they're confused by the resurrection, and they're confused where this is going. What kind of king is this? What kind of Messiah is this? But Jesus comes, and He gives to everyone what they need in order that they might place their hope in Him, the resurrected one. He comes to His church, to His disciples, and they recognize Him. And there's one disciple that's not there, Thomas, and Thomas next week Put your fingers here, Thomas, and here, Thomas. And Peter, the confused disciple who cursed him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Simon, son of John, do you love me? As a gentle pastor, he pastors every one of them back into the church, back into the kingdom, because he loves them all. And don't you forget, the same gentle Jesus, the same great pastor, is the one who sits in the heavens above, and he's the one, when you pray today, you pray to this person who is gentle and lowly in heart. He's the one to call on when you have no one else to turn to. Come to me and I will give you rest. But the major point to realize is that not only is he like this, his mission is to make us like this. This is not just a character trait that we are to behold and admire and say, oh, I, I wish I was like that. This is a character trait that every one of the children of God receive in Christ and are to cultivate and develop. The fact is, in our fallen state, we have what we could call an ugly side and a, a nice side. And, but if we are in Christ, we cannot be content to argue, well, that's just the way I am. That's me. In Christ, by His Spirit, a new me has come into being. If anyone is in Christ, says Paul, he is a new creation. Time and again in the Scriptures, we too are urged to be like this. Very strikingly, Paul in 2 Corinthians 10 entreats the Corinthians with the words, I, Paul, appeal to you with the gentleness and kindness of Jesus Christ. Notice Paul doesn't even appeal on the basis of his own kindness, but on the basis of the gentleness and kindness of Christ. It's the very gentleness of Christ. It's because Christ is living in him, shaping in him, forming him as he does with all his people. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 
A similar note is found in Philippians 1 verse 8, where Paul says he longs for the Philippians, not just with his own affection, but with the affection, the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. And that notion that that which characterizes Christ should also characterize you and me is all over the place in the New Testament. Who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is His mission, this is His mandate, to make us like Jesus Christ. The fruit of the Spirit, therefore, says Paul to the Galatians, is gentleness. These fruits of the Spirit are not something that you produce through your own willpower and your own effort. Look at the list. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Are you actually going to take these and apply them to yourself and staple them onto your heart and your life so that you are like this? No, this is the fruit of the Spirit of Christ. Also gentleness. He says to the Thessalonians, Paul says, we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. In 1 Timothy 3, Paul says that every office bearer ought to be not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome. To Titus, Paul says that all believers need to be told to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. James writes about the meekness of wisdom and says, wisdom that comes from above is pure and peace-loving and gentle, open to reason. And then there are pictures in the New Testament of what it means to be gentle. Think of Paul's picture of husbands in Ephesians 5. Ever wonder why men are referred to as gentlemen? Maybe that's because that's exactly what we are to be gentle men. It's a good thing to reflect on on Father's Day, isn't it? Are we gentle men with our wives, with our children? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her that He might sanctify her. In marriage, in the family, the value of love and gentleness is simply inestimable. It's sometimes said that there are not too many old men. There are not too many fathers who look back on a long life and say, you know, I really wish I spent more time in the office. I should have been there for more days and more hours. No, they're usually lamenting the fact they didn't spend more hours where they really count at home. Well, likewise, I don't believe there are too many old men. I don't think there are too many fathers who look back on the decades and say, you know, I wish that back then and there, in that situation, and in that situation, and that situation, I had been more angry and more forceful and more powerful. No, usually we're wishing we had been more gentle, more compassionate, more caring. I'm guilty myself. Everyone can call to mind events, encounters, relationships, and times when he wishes he had been more gentle because the reward would have been so much greater, if only. 
The truth is, in the brokenness of our world, there is more to be gained by cultivating the gentle side of a person's character than any other. It does not deny the, men, the, the need for men to be leaders with a purpose, with a vision, nor does it deny the need for men to be insistent at times. This is what we're doing, and this is how we're going to live. But you see, it's not a dictatorial leadership by the powerful. It's the loving leadership of a person who has learned spades about compassion and gentleness. If the world is not to be run by bossy dictators, neither is the church, neither is the family. That's not the way our Lord Jesus Christ taught us, nor is it the way that He Himself was. He gave His life for His bride. He gave His life for His family. They meant so much to Him. Unless we think it applies only to men, think of what Paul says, Peter says to the wives of Asia Minor. Don't let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair, the putting on of fine gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. You could say it all flows out of those beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Already at the beginning of His ministry, Jesus makes it clear, these will be the characteristics of those bought with my blood and filled with my spirit. Ortland suggests in his book that the fact that Jesus is gentle means that He's accessible. I don't believe it means He's accessible. I believe it means what I've outlined, what I believe it means. But I do believe that the result of being gentle is that one becomes more accessible. If you're a father or a grandfather, you know very well that if you're mean and ornery and troubled and having a difficult day, these little kids are not exactly going to climb on your lap. But if you're gentle with them and kind with them and they know that you love them, they'll be there. Gentle, the result of that is that you are accessible. And that's exactly what Jesus is, is doing with His people. He's seeing them burdened and seeing these leaders who are not accessible, and He's saying that He, the great leader, He will be accessible for them. And we need to realize it's the same Jesus who is in the heavens. It's the same Jesus to whom you pray. So stop hiding your sins. Stop hiding your failures. Stop hiding your foolishness and confess to Him and be frank with Him and tell Him what you need and where you hurt and where your pain is because He is gentle and lowly in heart and He is the very same person who lives in the heavens and is coming again to bring us to Himself. You can't fool Him. You can fool many fathers today, but you can't fool this father. You can't fool his son. They know exactly what you're up to. You can try to hide, but you are never successful. He knows. So fess it up. Straighten it out. Come before God with purity of heart and intentions, 
and live a life in which you seek and see God's love and his blessing. But our Lord Jesus refers to himself not only as gentle, but also as lowly in heart. What exactly does that mean? Well, lowly, lowly in heart suggests something or someone who is not proud, not up in a higher class, but it also has the connotation of being willing to be humbled even more. The verb form of the, of, of the word is used, for example, of the, the Nile River, which falls gradually. Makes me think of the Trent Severn locks, right? The river's got to fall gradually to get to a lower level. Well, that's what the Nile River had to do. And so, too, someone who is lowly, the point is, this person is not only humble, but he's willing to be humbled even more and more. And that's our Lord Jesus. It's a wonderful description of the Lord Jesus. He's the Son of God. He's God. And He comes into this world and He finds a place, not among the high and the mighty, but among us and among those who are of no account, those who are hurting and rejected. But read the Gospels. You know the story. The, the Pharisees are often annoyed because He doesn't spend much time with them. Jesus is content to spend His time with the lowly and the hurting with the rejects and the marginalized of society. And he goes even lower and lower and lower, just like the Nile, the canals. It's so very wonderful that this is our Lord Jesus. Not proud, not stubborn, not insistent on getting what's coming on to him, but he's lowly in heart. What would have come of the gospel story? What would have come of your salvation and my salvation if Jesus was otherwise? This is what's needed of our Savior, to humble himself even more, even unto death. The Lord Jesus, this self-description of our Lord suggests His submissiveness before His Father, His humility before other human beings, and even His willingness to be humbled more. He has come not to be served, but to serve. And notice this quality is not just some incidental quality. He is lowly in heart. This is who He is. It means this is His nature. This is what He's all about. And is it not true then even in this, we are to mirror our Lord Jesus. There can be no such thing as a proud Christian. Paul says often, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord Jesus. And Paul's intent is to say, there's nothing, no one else and nothing else to boast in anyway. Whether we sit in the pew or climb the pulpit, regardless of education, wealth, status, this is the nature of the people of God, individually and collectively. The Apostle Paul understood his own apostolic ministry to be one of just following the Lord in humble service. In Acts 20, he says, I serve the Lord with great humility, literally with all lowliness of mind and with tears. Precisely because God so shaped him, he could exhort all God's people to humility as well. To the Romans, he says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. 
And he urges the Ephesians, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. James writes, believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a flower. And then there's Peter. Now here's a contrast in terms of pride and lowliness. You ever see Peter in the Gospels? Of course you have. Peter in the Gospels, he's always the proud one. That will never happen to me, Jesus. I will never do that. I will always be by your side, Jesus, until he's not. Well, this Peter has learned a few things. And by the time he becomes an office bearer, and by the time he writes to the churches of Asia Minor, he says, he, he, he plays a different tune. He says, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility. Because he's learned this. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Peter has seen Jesus, God, opposing him but showing favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that He may lift you up in due time. To the whole congregation, Peter says, finally all of you should be of one mind, sympathize with each other, love each other as brothers and sisters, be tender-hearted, and keep a humble attitude. So much of, the fa of this, brothers and sisters, rests on the fact that this is our privilege to be found in Christ. If we are believers, then we are found in Christ. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. She is a new creation. And we are called then to develop, not the old creation, not the old nature, not the old man, but the new creation, and to be what we are by the power of the Spirit. Because this is the love of God. Not only does He give us commands, He even gives us His Spirit so that we will be what Jesus is. As is the head, so is the body. May God bless us.